name's Ben Abrahamson. You're in the class on work and vocation. Let me open in a word of prayer. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, God, we thank you so much that we can gather together on the Lord's Day, that we can look in your word together, that we can seek to uh, apply it to our lives and Specifically, as we think about our role in the workplace and um, what you've called, how you've called us to serve you, I, I pray that you would um, help us to understand your word more clearly and apply it to our lives, and help us, God, to as a result be be more faithful servants of you in in whatever you've called us to do in our in our work, in our home, in in the different um, roles in society that you've given us. God, help us to be faithful witnesses to to live in faith toward you and, and love toward one another. And I pray that you would help us by your Spirit, even now, to, um, to make progress toward this end. In Jesus' name, amen. I know most of you. I don't think I... But I'll, if I don't know you, I'll meet you afterwards. Um, if you don't... So a little bit about myself before I jump into this class. Um, you know, I, I work in a, as an engineer right now. I have a... I actually I started a mechanical engineering business about 10 years ago. So I do HVAC design in in um, the construction industry. We work with in buildings around the area, um, schools and hospitals and buildings and you know commercial buildings, stuff like that. Um, so for me, this is a topic that is it's been important to me over the years. I don't know. Maybe some of you can relate to this, but growing up, um, I felt at some points in my life that the, really the way to do meaningful work the really the way to maximize the value of my life so to speak if you're going to think in those terms was to do be involved in ministry in some way to be doing spiritual work um to be doing something related to the church to, I mean, with the idea that the, the the rest of the work you know work in everyday life is kind of second best if you had to settle for it you know then you can you know the world's all going to burn up anyways so it's really not that important but somebody's got to do it and you know, we've got to make money to live and all that. So um, I don't know if any of you can relate to that, but I spent a lot of my life um, feeling this tension between a desire to serve God and and uh, honor Him, and yet, um, in a sense, being stuck in that, you know, you got to pay the bills and you got to do regular work. So we're going to talk more about that as we get into it, but that, that's been maybe a journey for me over like the last... I don't know, decade in trying to understand that. Why do I think that way? Is that biblical? Um, is that the way that God wants us to think about the work that we do in our everyday lives? I'm thinking of this class as a theological reflection on the subject of work and vocation. And I mean, by that, I mean, uh, by, by reflection, what I want to point out, I mean, there's probably, there may not be necessarily new ideas in this class. A lot of it, as I'm hoping, is connecting as we reflect together on biblical doctrines that you may already be familiar with, but you may not have reflected on them in a way to connect them to what you do in your daily um, daily lives. So I'd also like to point out this is, I'd like this to be something of a joint venture. I mean, I'm up here in front, you guys are sitting there, but you know, you all you all have different experiences. You've all been in the workplace or in, in, the, in the home. Uh, you, you have different Experiences, and I'd like I, part of why I'm calling this not only work but also vocation. We'll get into it, uh, vocation in a little bit. Um, is that really all of us have a calling from God, whether that's in the home or if, whether you're retired, or all of us have a calling from God to be doing um, 
to be productive, to be working. Um, whether that's whether we it's been called work or not necessarily in our you know in the way that we talk about it um, going to going to work. Um, so I'd like to you know if you have different experiences, we've got nurses, law enforcement, um, you know students, pilots, contractors. We have a lot of different we have people all in all different fields of work. So I'm hoping out of this class to help all of you and to hear from you as we reflect on these things um, how these doctrines um, play out in your life. So I say here the purpose of the course, um, I say bridge a, a Sunday to Monday gap. Now I know some of you don't work Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, um, or 7 to 5, or 8 to 5, whatever, but you get the idea here um, that whether you're, you know, there's just only a certain percentage of your life where you're actually really doing Christian things. So how many, what, what percent of your week is that? I mean, you're all at a Christian church right now. We're all doing Christian things now. Uh, you know, maybe you go to a midweek Bible study or a youth group or something like that. So, um, you know, if you're here at church for three hours on Sunday, you know, if you're one of those that come to discipleship class in three hours or, you know, your other Bible study, maybe two hours, maybe, you know, p- personal devotions. You know, if you're doing that, you know, 15, 30 minutes a day, you know, maybe maybe 10, 15 hours a week. I don't know, maybe 20 if you're very, you know, very involved. But, you know, they're typical, you know, every, every week has 168 hours. So, you know, you're thinking maybe 10 percent of your week, you're really doing, you know, Christian things. Whereas if you're in the workplace, I mean, if you're at home caring for children, it's like, you know, 110 hours of your week (laughs) caring for children. But if you're at a regular, you know, job, so to speak, then 40, 50, 55 hours of your week, you're you're doing other work. That's really not Christian work. But so how are we to think about that? Is this just a, uh, how do we, how do we connect these things, you know, what you talk about in this 10 to 15 hours of your week, um, in the your Christian part of your week, to the rest of your week, and what I, I'd like to part as this is a big picture of the class. But you know, if we think of ourselves, you know, that's you um, in relation to God. So there's a vertical dimension of all of our existence. We're all relating to God, uh, but then there's also your your neighbors, other humans that you're in uh, relationship with. There's a horizontal dimension. And then all of us together are inhabiting this world, if, that's, if we can call it a world. We're going to talk about this, um, all of these, these dimensions, really, that our work, the, in those 40 to 50 or 100 hours a week, whatever it is, um, you are, we, are, we have an opportunity to grow in faith toward God. This relationship with God is not just something that happens um, in those 10 to 15 hours a week that there's actually an opportunity to be serving God and, and trusting God and growing in faith toward God in the ordinary things, in the changing the diapers or, you know, navigating the Excel spreadsheets or closing the sale or driving, you know, driving your um, delivery route. Um, that we actually we want to think about and consider how faith in God actually is nurtured and growing in those that um, in that scenario. As well as think about how Let's see, I'm going to do this differently. How about this? Equip us to love our neighbors. Um, if you come back next week, I'll hopefully have this figured out better. But, um, all right, how about that? It's like more 
Yeah, there we go. So, in addition to always being in relationship with God, all of us in our daily lives are in relationship with other people. You know, remember the second command, first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second one is love your neighbor as yourself. And your neighbor, you know, it may be, it may be the person who lives next to you, but if you think about, you know, the story of the Good Samaritan, um, really the neighbor is those people that you're in contact with in your daily lives. So if you're in your workplace 40 to 50 hours a week, um, those people are your neighbors in a sense. So we want to think of not only about how we can exercise faith toward God and serve God in our work, but also how we can love our neighbors in our work. Um, and then also think about in this dimension of caring for the world and society as a whole, and we're going to think about how God has put us on this earth for a reason. And um, I want us to, we'll, we'll reflect together on our role in, in caring for the world that God has made. So um, here's an overview of the course. Here we are, week one, October 16th. Um, we're going to start, um, let's see. I've got these over here. Um, there's two books that I'm using to give us this structure. Um, these are both in our book rack. So if you feel inclined, um, you're welcome to follow along. You're welcome just to show up if you know that's all that fits into your life. And, or that's, you know, um, you're welcome just to show up, listen, participate. Um, but if you'd like to reflect on it more and have some opportunity during the week to think about these things, um, I do have some study guides as well. I'll, I'll show that in a second, but let me just introduce the books. Um, so the first, what is that? 10 weeks. We're going to be following loosely, um, Tim Keller's book called every good endeavor. Uh, if you ever heard of, I don't know if you've heard of Tim Keller, but he's a pastor of a church in New York city called Redeemer Presbyterian church. Um, right in the heart of Manhattan. Like he's been there for 30 years and, you know, the place where people think, you know, Christian faith ought to, uh, what's the word, wither up and die in the midst of us, just very secular, very intellectual, um, cult, the cultural elites. Uh, you know, it's a place where many people thought planning a church would not work. But he's been there for 30 years, and so he's really thought deeply about um, how to help these people um, that he ministers to. Most of his churches is young professionals, people in business and finance and the arts, and, and how to help these people think about um, how to connect their everyday work, the things that they're spending their time in with their Christian faith. So you can see here the structure. It's going to start. We're basically going to work through in Tim Keller's book, starting at the beginning of the Bible. So the design of work, the dignity of work, and work as cultivation and service. That's really starting from Genesis. Um, what do we see in the very beginning of the Bible about the, the design of work and how God works and how we are made in his image also to be workers. Uh, then we're going to go into, you know, Genesis, that's Genesis 1 and 2. You guys know the story though, Genesis 3. Uh, work becomes fruitless and pointless and work becomes selfish and idolatrous. We're going to look at how the curse, the sin, has affected our workplace. Um, not only it's affected our workplace, the place that we work, it's also affected us. <laughs> it's affected our hearts. Um, our motivations, our desires, all of that is corrupted by sin. So now we've got this good thing that God made work, and now it's been corrupted. We're corrupted. We, min- we work with corrupted people in a corrupted society. And, uh, but yeah, there's still evidences of good and God's good design in the midst of that. So we'll talk about that in those cu- couple weeks. Um, and then we're going to get into these four weeks here. Um, 
how the gospel helps us think about this in a new way and how it gives us power for work, how it gives us um, kind of an ethical compass for work, and how the, the storyline of the Bible really makes the most sense of, I mean, it makes the most sense of life in general, but it also makes, you know, that's how we, we fit our work into that story. So that'll take us up to December. We'll take a few weeks of, for a break. And then we've got this other book. Um, it's also in our book rack, um, which I'm going to use um, for the remainder of the time. This is by two men, um, Sebastian Traeger and Greg Gilbert. They're both I think they worked together at Mark Dever's church, Capitol Hill Baptist Church, is how they kind of became, um, you know, became friends. Greg Gilbert's now pastor at another church in Kentucky. And Sebastian Traeger, I'm not sure where he lives, but he's, he's been in business, um, uh, worked in several businesses over the years. So they're trying to, they bring both of their perspectives, one as a, as a full-time pastor and one as a, as a businessman. And they seek to apply the gospel to our lives in the workplace. So, um, Whereas Tim Keller can, in some ways, I mean, he's more, he's a little bit more, you know, engaging with culture and philosophy and more, a little more intellectual in that sense. Um, these guys are a little more just in like the nitty gritty. Like they, they have several chapters, which we're going to work through um, towards the end there. Chapters five, six, seven, eight, nine, and 10, where they're just asking frequently asked questions that, um, you know, you and I are, if you're in workplace, you're probably... Uh, you probably thought about you know how do i how do i deal with difficult bosses how do i find the right job how do i balance work and church and family and you know getting pulled in all these directions how do i share the gospel at work uh, is full-time ministry more valuable than my job um, you know a lot of these questions that we're, we're asking in our workplaces so we'll that's where those those weeks in january and finishing off in february will We'll tackle some of those issues um, using this book. So you're welcome, like I said, just to show up and listen. If you'd like to participate or reflect on these things a little more actively throughout the week, both, I I didn't write these, fortunately, um, but both of these books have study guides that have been put out. So Debbie put put all this together for us in a little little study guide. So we've got um, each week there are, there's an outline here, which you probably, it's basically that same outline there. But you would re- the idea would be to read the chapters associated with it, and then there's questions for discussion that you could use as um, just uh, thought-provoking things throughout the week. So you could come prepared or having thought about it a little bit more ahead of time. So there's some copies of that here. Feel free to take one if you'd like. And then I think there's, what, six or seven or eight copies of each of these in the in the book stall so um i don't know what we're charging for them but whatever they're they variety of choices some of them i got used so they're really cheap and some of them are brand new so they're more expensive so right. <laughs> find the refurbished coffee to save some money um so yeah feel free to pick those up or like i said just just feel free to show up and um and listen so all right before so that's that's where we're going any questions on any of that the structure the books so I'd like to do a little informal survey, if that, if um, if we can start off that way. Uh, maybe Melinda, yeah, unless or in, yeah, if you can sit down here. Do you want to pass those out? Do you guys all have pens or pencils? Um, Isaiah, do you want to help me just by passing these out to your sign? So you don't don't feel like you have to put your name on it. It's not. I would like to collect them just so I get a sense of like where you all are at in. I mean, as a group, not individually. There's no 
Uh, I'm not track, you know, tracking this to you at all, um, but just to have a sense of where you all are at. Um, so the five questions, I guess you've all, you can just, if you haven't, um, I'll just read through them. Feel free to answer them at your own pace. But does your Christian faith influence how you do your work from yes it, or no, it has really little influence, it's not something I really think about in my daily work, to yes, it has a significant influence on how I do my work? Secondly, do you struggle to see how your Christian faith integrates with your work? Is it something that, like I said, you leave at church and then you go to work and you really just, those two worlds don't really connect for you. They're just disconnected entities and you kind of leave your faith at the door, go to work, do your thing, and then, you know, go home and turn, flip the switch back on and put on your Christian hat again. Um, Third, do you recognize how your work contributes to society? With one being little contribution that's really... You're just getting a, you're getting a paycheck and you're doing your thing and providing your, for your family, which is good, but there's really no connection to society as a whole. Or on the other end of the spectrum, would you say there's a significant contribution to society through your work? Fourth, how often do you pray about your work? One being never or not at all, and five being daily or regularly. And then fifth, how frequently do you share the gospel at work? Um, one again being never or not at all, and five being regularly, frequently, um, something you're, you're often thinking about. So, um, maybe I could have some. Is everyone? If everyone had time to write those down, could I, uh, Melinda and Isaiah? Could you just um, gather those together, and you can just put them in this little, put them in a nice little pile here. Um, well, maybe I'll, I may or may not use the results of the survey in future um, classes, but. Um, all right, so I'd like to think together just briefly about why this. Why is there a gap between Sunday to Monday? Why do we, you know, have we have a, a language we use on Sunday? We talk about spiritual things. We talk about salvation and faith and you know uh, justification and sanctification. All these you know important topics, and then we go to work and we're dealing with you know bosses and excel spreadsheets and sales and you know physics and medicine and you know and we're like we're in, it's almost like they're two different worlds and so why why is that why is there a gap between sunday to monday in our thinking um, i'd like to actually look at a few places in the scripture to show that this actually isn't necessarily a new thing if you guys have your bibles I'm just going to turn to one of these. I'll, I'll start with the, the First Timothy reference, First Timothy four. And what I want to help you see, you know, we live in a different time, a different age. Technology is different, culture is different. But there's even in the New Testament, we're going to see that there's been this. I don't know if I want to say a movement, but a, a, a thought, a, a temptation to think that there's there's the spiritual world that really matters, and then there's the physical world that is actually really not that important, or in some cases, especially in the New Testament with their, the um, influence of Greek thinking, the idea was that the, the physical world was actually bad, that we need to escape from the physical world or we need, to, we need to minimize our interaction with the physical world. And one of the ways that that uh, reared its head in the New Testament was in the, a movement towards asceticism, which was basically denying the, the, physical, the goodness of the physical world and you know, even denying um, good things that God made. And you see that in First Timothy 4, 1 through 5. 
where he says to, to Paul says to Timothy, Now the Spirit expressly says in the later times that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So, in this case, you see there's, there are those who are saying food and marriage, these earthly, physical things are, are really not not good we should we should actually deny them we should we should not get married that's just you know w- the world's falling apart anyways we shouldn't get married food um it's it's a, a a bad thing or it's an earthly thing and really what's important is um spiritual things i think that's something of what was going on what first what paul was trying to um combat in this teaching and it, you can see how he points out you know that his his response to that is Everything, verse 4, everything created by God is good. Going all the way back, you know, Genesis 1, what's the repeated refrain in Genesis? God, you know, there was evening, there was morning, the Lord saw that it was good. You know, the world is a good place. And that's how Paul is, Paul is um, criti- he's critiquing those who are, are saying that the material is bad. And I, I think you see this also in 1 Corinthians fifteen twelve, where some begin to deny... 1 Corinthians 15, 12, Paul says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And this is a little bit more, in, a little more complicated, but the resurrection we need to understand is not just some spiritual existence in heaven floating on a cloud. Resurrection is actually a return to bodily, physical life. That's, uh, that's what resurrection means. That's what it was for Jesus. Jesus was resurrected not to be uh, a spirit floating around in the clouds, but he, he ate fish. He touched, they touched him. He was real. He had a physical life. He was, he was in flesh. And so there are some in Corinth who are saying there is no resurrection of the dead. There is no return to this physical life. And a, lot, a big part of that, I think, was this idea that the, f- that the fleshly existence, life in the, in the flesh is is bad. We want to actually escape from it. We want to get away from this this world. This shows up in different ways throughout well throughout the New Testament, but also throughout history. Um, you also begin to see it um, in the the Gnostics um, in the New Testament. One of the the errors that was beginning to crop up was the the Gnostic heresy, which basically said that the flesh. Um, this earthly existence is bad. That's down here. That doesn't really matter. What we really need to do is find this 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 secret knowledge. This upper, you know, this is something that this is how you really really serve God or really know God is attaining to this secret knowledge. Whereas, you know, really escaping the world and minimizing your interaction with the world. That's that's really um, that's the way to to be most spiritual and most pleasing to God. It's interesting, though, this continues throughout history. You think um, back to, well, if you go through the early church, you know, remember like around 300 AD, Constantine declared Christianity to be 
um, the official religion of the Roman Empire. And from that point on, uh, it was now, you know, now instead of Christianity being like this sect that was oppressed and seeking to be persecuted, now it was established as the official religion of the Roman Empire. Now, a lot of Christians at the time were now wrestling with, well, how do I really be a, a zealous Christian at that point? And that was really the beginning of, what be, uh, of the monasteries, um, where men and women who, uh, women I guess later, but at least in monasteries it was men, who, who wanted to really be spiritual, really serve God, would leave the everyday life of you know, ordinary activity and go devote themselves to God by living in a monastery, by um, you know, praying and meditating and worshiping God um, continuously in a monastery. And that continued in various ways up until Martin Luther's day in the Roman Catholic Church. And Martin Luther um, wrote very dogmatically against this. This is one of the big, one of his big hobby horses, so to speak. In that there was this this movement afoot that said, yeah, if you wanted to be truly spiritual, you'd go, out, you'd you'd actually leave, you'd go pursue a sacred calling, whether that's being a priest or a monk. You'd separate yourself from the rest of the rest of society in order to truly serve God. So again you see there this this separation of things that are truly spiritual and sacred and then you know the rest of ordinary people that are just doing their secular work. We're going to get into Luther's critique of that um, as we go into the story, I mean, the brief version though is that if you think back to this picture, how um, God has placed us in the world to love one another and to exercise faith toward God. Uh, Martin Luther's critique was, you know, if you go off and live in a monastery, you no longer you're, you're leaving your neighbors. Um, you no longer have your neighbors. You you abandoned them. You're no longer loving your neighbors. You're actually um, also putting yourself in almost a I don't know if you would have used the word fake, but a a situation where you don't have to deal with the challenges and struggles of everyday life, which are really the opportunity for you to grow in faith towards God. If you leave this place where there's struggle so that you can go live in a different commune, then then you're, you're losing an opportunity to grow in faith. So not only are you not exercising faith in God, you're not exercising love for your neighbor. So he would, he actually argued that the monasteries were, (laughs) were actually like servants of Satan, that they were, they were the opposite of what God was calling us to do. He might have gone over, I mean, he might have been a little bit um, overboard in that, but um, still, he, he was very adamant against the monasteries. And, and I don't know if any of you have read Francis Schaeffer, but even in our day, he's, he's pointed out the same kind of bifurcation where you've got, he calls it um, an upper story and a lower story, where like in the upper story, you have things like faith and um, ideals, things that are, meaning, purpose, all of these things, they exist in this upper story of things. You know, we all, everyone, whether you're a Christian or not, believes, you know, for the most part, people have, they want to believe in purpose and meaning and love. But, you know, then we're all stuck dealing with things, um, science. And, you know, um, these are things that you can't, in, in Francis Schaeffer's critique of modern culture, he'd say that um, these are things that, that you can't really quantify, that you can't really reach up to be with reason. And down here, you've got things like the scientific method, you've got reason, you've got facts. These are things you know, that we can all 
agree on, that we can study in the scientific method. This is, this is the realm that we're all stuck in, in a sense, living out our daily lives. And yet we all want to believe and we all have this, this leap that we make to where we, we believe in purpose and meaning and, and value. So with that survey, I just want to point out that there, I think this has been going in different forms, this disintegration, this, this disconnection between spiritual realities and then the physical, earthly responsibilities that we have has been going on for, for a long time. Let me just show, I'm going to look at first, let's look at First Thessalonians. Um, I want to show you how, how this played out in Thessalonica. If you, were, you may or not remember much about Thessalonica, but Paul went there on one of his missionary journeys. I think it might have been his second one. He was there for three weeks preaching in the synagogues, and then the Jews formed a mob and they drove him out of town. So there's this, but there were believers there, people that came to faith in those first three weeks that he'd been there. And so there was a church that was this little fledgling church that was now in the midst of a a city that was opposed to God, that was, there was opposition, they were, they were afflicted, they were persecuted. And so Paul, Paul writes letters back to them. He's no longer there because if he showed up, they would drive him out of town again. But he's writing these letters back to them, trying to encourage them. And if you read through his, his letters, both First and Second Thessalonians, you'll see this constant theme, this theme coming up frequently about waiting for the second coming how um, Jesus is coming back soon, which you see here in 1 Thessalonians 1, 8 through 10. Uh, he says, Not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need, we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So, that's just this was a because I think because they were afflicted because they were persecuted, there was a um, they they place a great emphasis on the fact that Jesus is coming soon. Like this world is not our eternal. Is, this is not how it's going to be forever. Jesus is going to come and and conquer his enemies, raise the dead, and it could happen at any moment. That's what you see in First Thessalonians five, uh, and actually I didn't put it up here, but if you remember right before this in First Thessalonians four. 13 through 17, he, Paul talks about how we don't grieve as those who have no hope because we believe that Jesus is coming soon. He's going to come with a trumpet. The dead in Christ are going, to, are going to rise. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. And he says, you know, and then he says in 5.1, you know, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Now let me just ask you, uh, think about this. If you're in Thessalonica, first century, you know, life is hard, you're, you're persecuted, you have this hope that Jesus is coming soon. He could come at like a thief in the night, maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow, maybe, maybe next Wednesday. Jesus is coming. He's coming soon. He's going to rescue me from all this affliction that I'm facing. How might you begin to think about your daily work? 
<clears throat> who cares? It, you know, if my, if my job's not going to be here on Thursday, then why do I why do I need to worry about it? Anything else? Just making sure you're ready. Like I don't want to be left behind. Yeah, yeah. You might begin to think, you know, this this spiritual world. This is really what matters. Um, you know, serving God, being you know, faith. Whereas you know, this all this stuff. You know, if Jesus is coming back and all this is in some way going to be judged and um, become be changed, then really, why does it really matter what I do? Yeah, right. Well, this is more. I'm a big fan of uh, uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, "The World's Last Night." Um, I want to get found at my post doing what I was told. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is if you go the same letter. Uh, actually, first and Thess- second Thessalonians. You read through them. You see this theme, interwoven theme of Jesus is coming back soon. But you also see um, a warning against idleness. The, apparently, this was a real thing. They were they were beginning to think you know, it really doesn't matter. I don't have to work hard. I can just kind of coast along until Jesus comes back, and then He'll make everything right. Which you see just a few verses earlier in First Thessalonians four nine through twelve. Now, concerning brotherly love, you have no need to, for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed, that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands, as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So he's telling him to aspire as like, be zealous for this, to, to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands. I mean, in that day, working with your hands was really the only option for working. You were either, if you weren't working with your hands, you weren't working. So um, he's not necessarily saying that all labor has to be with your hands, but he's telling them that you need to work diligently, that you need to make this your, in, your endeavor, your aspiration to, to, to take care of your ordinary daily affairs and not to neglect them because you think that the end is near. And then he tells them in verse 12, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So part of it was, part of what he's telling them there is that working with your hands, minding your own affairs is actually a way that you can represent Christ well in the world. If the Christians are all lazy and idle and um, you know just sitting around waiting for the end to come, then you know, you're, you're going to bring bad a bad repute you're going to put the gospel and the and the christian faith in a in a bad light with the world around you and you're going to be dependent um you know you're saying you don't want to be those who are just dependent who are depending on the government or other people or you know you don't want to be a moocher you don't want to uh, you want to work to provide for your own needs it's interesting here in first thessalonians he's He's giving this more as, an, as a positive exhortation. Um, here, do this. If you go to 2 Thessalonians, you see, um, you know, some time has passed. I don't know how much has passed, but in 2 Thessalonians 3, we see that what he was warning them against has now become a problem in the church, or what he's exhorting them about. Because in 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, He says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. So now there's so-called brothers, Christians in the church, who are walking in idleness. 
and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. Um, so, and then he goes on, he talks about his own, um, his own example. He, he, he was there in Thessalonica, even for a short time, and he worked. He was not idle. He says, you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. And this is where he says this command that many of you may remember. Uh, Even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. And now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Go ahead, Ray. Yeah, I think it's super important to point out that Paul's um, use of language in this instance, too. In a lot of cases, he'll, he'll say, we earnestly urge you, or we, we strongly advise, basically, like, like kind of like, hey, bro, you know, let's, let's do this thing. But in this instance, he says, we command you in the name of Jesus Christ. He's, he's getting really firm in it. Right. Yeah, here, you know, he's... He says, we hear that some among you walk in idleness. He may not have been there, but he's, what, he was, what he saw um, potentially developing has now become a reality, that there's Christians who are thinking that the end is near and thinking they can neglect their work. They don't need to be productive workers. They can, uh, instead of being busy at work, they're busy bodies. They're meddling with other people's affairs. They're um, maybe even in the name of, of spiritual, maybe they thought it was a good thing that they were not, they were not actually having to deal with you know these um, earthly um, realities. They were they were spiritual, but um, and they were waiting for Jesus to come back. But Paul Paul views this as a serious error. It's not it's not a trifling matter. It's a idleness was a serious error, and so he gives it like like Ray was saying. It's a serious warning. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. That's um, a pretty serious serious matter. So, from this, I hope you can see that, um, you know, if, if we view reality this way and say, well, really, the spiritual is what really matters, um, waiting for Jesus to come, you know, faith in God is what really matters, and yet, you know, the, the nitty-gritty details of changing diapers or, you know, driving your postal route or, um, you know, designing a civil plan or something you know if we think those things don't really matter and god doesn't really care about them then we are um we're misunderstanding the world itself we're misunderstanding god's intention for us as his children so how what is the path forward how do we how do we if we know that's wrong if we know that so what partly what i'd like to do in this class is help us to see that really this line shouldn't be there that, that the whole world, God made everything. Um, all of this is actually just, you know, the one good world that God made. And even from, I'll just go through these verses briefly, but, you know, some of these you might be familiar with. Um, Romans eleven thirty six For from, from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. All things are from God. He's the source of all things. He's, he's made everything. He, he designed everything. He created everything. That's, um, it's all from him. It's also all through him that God is, the, is giving life to everything. He's, he's um, governing everything. He's the one who is um, 
directing all of existence. And it's also to him in that um, it's, its end is to bring glory to God, which, you know, he's not saying here, obviously, only the spiritual things, only what happens in church is to God's glory. He's saying all things are to him and all things are from him. Um, same point in 1 Corinthians 8, 6. There is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. And then um, you may have heard this quote from Abraham Kuyper. There is not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. He is Lord, he's sovereign over Overall, so um, ordinary things like whatever we're doing in our work and our daily calling is all um, for from God through Him and to Him. So let me put this as a question then: If this is true, if there if there, if there shouldn't be this disconnection, and yet sometimes I'm sure you feel in ways that there is, um, how how can we serve God in our work um, and? I was going to write the answers on the... Oh, here's, a, here's an eraser. Um, how would you answer this question or fill in that blank? The way, the way to serve God in my work is... Here's the audience participation part of the class. <laughs> work under the Lord. All right. Um, what do you mean by that, Cheryl? Well, when I think about things I'm doing... Of not wanting to please my boss or make money or mm-hmm. different motivations. Yeah. If your motivation is to please the Lord, that can be a game changer. Right. Yeah, and I think you're right. And to bring him What else? Our love towards others and our actions and our words. Yep. Love toward others. We, we all, if you've worked anywhere, you know, you deal with difficult humans. They're all, <laughs> they, you see their sin. They sin against you, and you have opportunity to show love. What else? Just work ethic. Just doing it well, even when others around you are. Yep. That's a good one. Even if we say, I'm doing this for the Lord, but you do shoddy work, uh, if the table that you make falls apart, then. Uh, are you really doing it well and under the Lord? <laughs> if you design a, a waterway and it doesn't deliver clean water or something, I don't know what you design, Paul. But yeah. <laughs> uh, what else? Our speech. What do you mean there? Your speech always gracious, salt, walking wisdom towards outsiders. Yeah. Anything else? Gratefully. Gratefully. I have a good work or have any work at all. Yep. Yeah, there could be there's a lot of complaining here or it probably falls into the grateful category, but it's uh especially when we work for the government. Uh, a lot of lots of complaining and then you can you can make a difference. Yeah. Not complaining and being grateful. Right. Outwardly. There's a very basic 
thing that maybe maybe no one wants to say, but part of the reason why we part of what we work for, and maybe this doesn't quite fit in that sentence, but we all work to make money, right? I mean, um, part I mean, he said in remember Second Thessalonians, we don't want you to be dependent, or maybe it's first, but we don't want you to be dependent on anyone. I mean, we do need to provide to care for our our physical needs, um, and uh, not just to have money to give to ourselves, but what else to um, yeah, we want to provide for ourselves, but we also want to be able to give. I can't remember which which verse. I think that was that's Ephesians four, where he says, "Let the thief no longer steal, but let him work, so that he can have something to share with the one who's in need." So, um, anything else? Go ahead, Lisa. Um, my work is just you know in the home with my kids and homeschooling. Um, so I think a big thing with me is um, persistence and perseverance. Mm-hmm. We live right across the street from an elementary school, and you know sometimes I think oh, uh, things would be so different if I could just send them across the street. But um, that's not what we've been called to do. So yeah, it's hard. But it's yeah. And that's what Martin Luther would say. That's one of the reasons. That's one of the pl- places where faith is become so important. When it's hard, when you have to persevere. If if you leave the arena where you where the struggle and difficulty and just go uh, insulate yourself from that, then you don't really have the opportunity for faith. So now, I just like to. There's probably more that we could say, um, but all of these really are part of the the biblical answer of how we serve God in our work. Uh, we could also, I think some of you might have said this, but, um, you know, creating beautiful things, um, you know, designing things well or creating beauty, um, you know, in music or art or, you know, God is the one who made, God is himself the standard. He is beauty, but, you know, we can image him through, through making things that reflect that, his character in the world. Um, so we're going to talk about all of those things, um, but I would like to just briefly, in our closing few minutes, um, give you a few other ideas, some of the main themes that we're going to hit. Um, I'd like to, you know, um, sometimes definitions are half the battle, uh, to understanding what work is. Um, I'd like for us as Christians to... It's, to grow in, in seeing work as more than just a paycheck. It's more than just an, an economic transaction where you agree to offer your services to an employer who then agrees you to pay, pay you for it and then you, know, you can use that money to do whatever you want. Um, you know, all of us have some sort of understanding of what work is, and that might be what you think of work is. But I'd like to, we, I'd like to show from the scriptures that there's so much more the Bible says about about work, even you know, especially even just what we think of as ordinary work. I mean, if your trash man never picked up your trash, what would your what would your society be like? I mean, all of work is important. Um, so, um, and yet we've all you know, if you've been to you know in school and in whether that's even just elementary, you know, um, you know, what do you call it? High school. That's what it's called. Um, high school, or especially you know, if you went to college, if you got any kind of training, or even just on the job training. You know, you haven't been, I, I know I, I was not taught how to think 
biblically about my work. You know, I was taught about science and engineering, and, you know, there was no mention of God in all that. Or, you know, if you're working food service, you know, or caring for, for clients, you know, you, you may, you got some training on the job, but it probably wasn't, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, there's the training that we've received. So the way that we often think about our work is kind of disconnected from, um, from the Christian faith and from what the Bible says. So, um, Merriam-Webster says that work is an activity in which one exerts strength or faculties to do or perform something. I think that's true, but it's not the whole story. Um, this isn't, you know, the Bible doesn't give us a, it's not a textbook. It doesn't give us a, there's no uh, necessarily a dictionary at the back that tells you how to define it. But this is just some food for thought. Uh, it's not inspired, but Dorothy Sayers wrote that work should be looked upon not as a necessary drudgery to be undergone for the purpose of making money, but as a way of life in which the nature of man should find its proper exercise and delight, and so fulfill itself to the glory of God. The, um, let me just hit two, two big points that we're going to return to, but I want to just put these out there for you to, to think about. Um, I mentioned at the beginning vocation. We're going to think about in this class how work is a vocation. In that, uh, and but vocation comes from the Latin word for calling. That, and that come, you know, if you look at 1 Corinthians 7, this Martin Luther, this is one of the, the main texts he used to undermine the whole sacred, secular, the monastery, um, ordinary distinction. Um, 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. And this is my rule in all the churches. And he goes on, but um, he, he points out there that um, this word for calling is, it is used in a spiritual sense, and that, which is different than this. So like if you go to the beginning of the letter, he says that you've been called to fellowship with God, or called to fellowship with Christ. Like there is, there is a spiritual calling that, we all, that if you're a believer, you have responded to in faith to be a child of God. But a secondary um, calling that all of us have is to lead the life that the Lord has assigned to us, um, you know, to which God has called us. You know, it's interesting, he doesn't say, obviously, um, only let each person find the way to get out of their, call, their life to do spiritual work, or to go into ministry, or to become pastors, or, you know, he doesn't tell them to leave their calling. He actually says, you know, if you were a slave, then don't be concerned about it. Um, continue to serve God as a slave. Um, he says the same thing about circumcision um, and being a freed man. Um, so we're going to think about how our work is actually a calling from God, that he has um, placed us sovereignly where we are in, with the life experiences that you have, with the opportunities you had for work. All of that was not accidental. Um, the desires that you had growing up, all, your, your life situation is part of God's providence in leading you to where you are now to do the work that you're doing, and that it's actually in that sense a calling from God. So... As we think about what work is, I think this is one of the building blocks to help us realize that work is much more than just going to get a paycheck. The other thing, and this is the verse that Cheryl mentioned a second ago, is that work is actually serving Jesus. Um, This is hard to, it may not feel this way. I know when I, you know, I'm dealing with difficult clients or angry 
contractors or things, things are, when things are not going well in the workplace, it's, it's sometimes I don't, I don't necessarily feel this way. But look at what Paul tells to bond servants. These are bond servants in Colossae who are working for Roman masters. They weren't, they weren't working in the church. They weren't working for not even necessarily Christian masters. They, these were slaves in Roman society. He says, Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for, for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. That's a pretty big statement to really get into your thinking. I know it's, it's, it takes time to, to massage that into your thinking, but if you're, as you're going to work, as you're you know, fixing car parts or um, flying a plane or um, you know, teaching a, a, a class or even you know, raising your children, all of these things, um, if you do it heartily as for the Lord and not for men, you're actually doing it to serve the Lord. It's not... Not as though your service for the Lord is only when you're in ministry. It's these Roman servants, I'm sure, had no opportunity to go teach a Sunday school class. They couldn't go volunteer their time for the church. They were, you know, they, their days were spent in obeying their masters. So, um, so I'd like to, part of what we'll do in this class is work to re, um, you know, rebuild the definition, an idea of work in our, that it, work in our own minds, that it's, it's, voca- it's a calling from God, and it's also serving Jesus. Um, so I think we're out of time. Um, I'll skip over this slide from Tim Keller. Um, but I'll just close with this quote from um, Chariots of Fire. Eric Little told him this. Uh, he says, You can praise the Lord by peeling a spud if done to perfection. Don't compromise. Compromise is the language of the devil. Run in God's name and let the world stand back in wonder. Does anyone have any questions or comments? I was recently introduced to a concept uh, called centropy, which is the opposite of entropy, where the things in a enclosed system have a tendency to fall apart or to increase in chaos. Uh, it's been discovered basically that human cells, when, when at the cellular level, when, when put in isolation and when they're not in contact with other human cells or the, or the, the biome, uh, tend, to, tend to act in very dysfunctional ways. They don't know how to act. They increase in disorder rather than order. But when, in, in community, and so this is, this is like an idea that seems to uh, pervade humans' existence is that we're engaged in the act of producing order in community. Right. You know, uh, we're centropic. And I, and I think that, that, that even at a cellular level, that's how hmm. God made us in His image. Yeah. God is a God of order, not chaos. Yeah. All right. Let me close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, God, we thank you that you are a God who made all things. You made it good. You made a good world for us to live in. You made us good, and yet we know all of this is corrupted by sin. We are corrupted by sin. We need Jesus. He changes us, and he changes the world. And we, um, we pray that you'd help us through this class to, to think more, more biblically about 
um, our work, our, our calling in, our, in life, and to serve you more faithfully, to see our work as something that we do in service to our King. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.